This is Wyman and Bob on Seattle Sports, powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Streaming live on the Seattle Sports app and at seattlesports.com. Now, here are your hosts, Dave Wyman and Bob Stelton. Welcome, everybody. It's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710 and seattlesports.com. Hopefully, everybody's having a great day out there. We got a lot to get to. Mariners making moves with the Twins. They bring in a bat. Happened late last night, and uh, we'll get into the details of that with Dan Hayes, the Twins beat writer with The Athletic, who was uh, one of the first to release a lot of the details of that trade. He'll join us at 2.30. We'll talk to Mark Schlereth at 3 o'clock We'll roll the tape at 3.30, and then El Hombre, Michael Bradley with us at 5 o'clock today. So stick around. A lot of stuff to cover. Uh, but the big news in the NFL day, Ben Johnson said, nah, I think I'll go ahead and remain the offensive coordinator of the Lions. I don't, I don't want to be a head coach for the Seahawks or the Commanders. Yeah, you said something in the read there about the the asking price. Well, that's according to uh, this story. Yeah, it says sources told Adam Schefter that some teams balked at Johnson's asking price to be a head coach. Yeah, well, and we don't know if this that's the Seahawks or you know anybody else. I just say the thing that occurred to me when I heard that I was like, what a great position to be in. First of all, it's a great environment in Detroit. Like I said, even if they lost the NFC Championship game, I feel like they're still going to be celebrated as far as uh, you know, going to the playoffs for the first time in forever. And then you can just go, yeah, you know what? I'll I'll take off if you give me, you know, a gazillion dollars. And then, you know, that's my asking price. I mean, what a great position for him to be in, but I think it also it, it also brings up something I think that Maybe we look past a little bit that we think everybody wants this job, right? Everybody wants to be in Seattle. And, you know, anytime there's like a free agent or a coach, you know, that's I, I think we, we just assume that that's the situation. So I'd be very curious to see, you know, how that went down and whether it was the Seahawks, and maybe we'll find out later, or, or it was him. Yeah, I don't, I mean, who knows what it, maybe he went into the whole thing with the idea that I really don't want to leave yet, but if I get the right number, then I'll leave. So he, there was no pressure. There was, they certainly weren't uh, shooing him out of town. He wasn't somebody who was fired now looking for a new gig. But you, you also have to want, I respect that he's betting on himself because he may never be a hotter candidate than he is now coming off the run they just had. That's not typical of the Lions, as we've talked about, which made them the darlings. They had all this sort of unique special attention and so many people, you know, watching them that otherwise wouldn't watch them. Is that going to be the case if they're decent again next year, if they're good again next year? Is it still going to be – it won't be as novel of a story. I don't know if that yeah. impacts his bottom line, but feels like, you know, if you want to strike while the iron's hot, now's a great time. But, hey, he's – you know, he's only 37 years old, so you you got to – he's betting on himself. I respect that. Well, the other thing, too, you know, you look at the Lions, where they are right now, and, and compared to the Seahawks, I mean, this has been a long tenure with Pete Carroll. And now, you know, whenever you get that transition to the next regime, it's it's going to be painful for a while. Whereas you look at in Detroit right now, things things are looking up, man. I mean, I think I feel like agent or free agents want to come there. I think that uh, coaches want to go there, and it's just it's a good situation. I think it's all created by Dan Campbell, which is pretty amazing. And this is why I think it kind of brings to light why they're going through such, you know, all of this uh, all of this extra interviewing and things like that to make sure you get it right. Because if you get a guy like Dan Campbell, you could just entirely change your culture. And it took him, you know, took him a few years, but this is this is very important, this job. And right now we think, okay, well, head coach, he basically coaches, 
you know the other the other coaches and somewhat with the players, but more than anything, you set the tone. And you know, he you saw in Hard Knocks early on, you know, the the second year when they did that, he he was. You know, he was the guy that just set culture. This is who we're going to be. It's going to be about toughness, and it's it's succeeded. So that you know, just a Dan Campbell. Like, I mean, look, you can pay coaches. There's no salary cap. You can yeah. pay him whatever you want. And so a guy like that that can just change everything around. You got 31 other teams fighting to try to get to where you're getting. I mean, it's it's competitive, and a guy like that is just highly valuable. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see. You know, the person who really loves this, probably in an indirect way, or at least his agent does, is Mike McDonald. Maybe his price tag just went up. Yeah. Because it felt like it was coming down, all right, one guy's going to end up here, and one will end up in Washington, and everybody gets what they want. But now that you take one of the the most prominent names out of the mix, everybody, maybe even Dan Quinn, maybe the trickle-down is like, okay, I just became that much more appealing. Yeah. You know, and I can ask for, his agent can ask for a little bit more, and who knows what they were asking for, and... And maybe already have a sense of it since uh, the Seahawks are talking to him today, right? Talking to Mike McDonald today and Washington talked to him yesterday. So we'll see what goes on there. But uh, Ian Rappaport talking about this and talking about the Seahawks and how much they really like McDonald. And the Mike McDonald one is fascinating to me because, first of all, I've talked to a couple teams who interviewed him. It sounds like he has been really dynamic in some of these interviews. I had one uh, person involved with one of the head coach searches who said this was the best interview we had by far. He is young, he is bright, sort of the defensive Sean McVay is how he was described to me and the fact that Seattle was willing to wait until after the Super Bowl to talk to him gives me Shane Steichen vibes. That makes me think he is a really, really strong cadence in Seattle. We will see where it goes today, but certainly that is one to watch. Shane Steichen vibes. What does that mean? I don't know. <laughs> they waited till after the Eagles won the Super Bowl, or were in the Super Bowl to hire him. Oh. The, the Colts. Gotcha. Um, right. Also, I would say he probably should just turn the TV down in the background. There. <laughs> <laughs> I don't I know did. if that was bothering Matt or not. I know when I click my pen, that, that would like it. That would have to mean Matt was paying attention to that soundbite. <laughs> All I heard was Dave's pen clicking. <laughs> <laughs> That's that little nuisance there. But yeah, I don't know. It was an interesting turn of events, to say the very least. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Uh, so, yeah, the the field has been whittled down by one, and we'll see if uh, there's a fight for McDonald's services or does Dan Quinn now become more of a realistic possibility for the Seahawks? I don't know. It's 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 not it's not going the way you thought it was going to go. Felt like, all right, they're going to get the interviews out of the way, and maybe Wednesday, Thursday, McDonald lands in one spot, Johnson in the other. Yeah. Well, and it's kind of funny also that um, I was just kind of – Looking at numbers, and it's down because somebody asked me, well, between the two, um, you know, who do you who do you want? And I go, well, one of them's already gotten a job or staying in Detroit. And I'm like, oh, that's right. I forgot about Dan Quinn. Yeah. And so I'm looking at their numbers. And if you look at as far as a, a defensive coordinator, and that's what we're going with on Mike Donald. That's all we're, we're going on. We don't know. I mean, we know he can coach that defense, and his defense is really good. But if you look at... Total defense from last year, DQ was number five, and McDonald was number six, and that's just total yards. Now, you look at scoring, they were number one, mm-hmm. um, uh, McDonald's defense, number one, and then D- DQ in, in Dallas was number five. And then as far as run, McDonald number 14, DQ number 16, but then you look at pass, uh, 
Dan Quinn had a better pass defense. He was number five. McDonald was number six. So I don't know. I, I we're we're seeing this guy as this defensive wizard, and I and I think he is. And we'll talk about it and roll the tape. I think he's he's really good. But Dan Quinn's been getting it done for a long time. And and I was talking to Brent today, Brent Stecker, um, and on our digital side, and he was saying, you know, that Brock brought up a very good point as far as Dan Quinn goes. He's been in the league for a really long time. Mm-hmm. So if you're trying to hire out a staff, you know, you know way more people. And, you know, DQ's been around it for such a long time. You know, that would be the other thing. Because right now, I mean, the Seahawks, they're running a little bit of a risk waiting this long. But if it's if it's Dan Quinn, I mean, I feel like he has the kind of connections and the kind of relationships with guys where he can be like, hey, I'm not sure if I'm going to get this job. Can you hold on for a little while? I think there's probably a lot of coaches that'll say anything for you, man. So, so he's been around for a long time. We know that you know what kind of a person he is, and now all of a sudden it kind of brings that back to hey, maybe we've, we're uh, we're focusing too much on on McDonald. I think I've been talking about him being, you know, the guy, and you know, kind of looking past Dan Quinn. Yeah, I think Quinn just. It's recency bias. We talked about it. The the defense looked terrible in their loss in the playoffs. And you like the shiny new toy. You like the unknown, the potential of a young guy that's 36, 37 years old and is going to be the next, you know, Shanahan. We want our we want our version of Shanahan. We want our version of McVay. And and to me, that's what the attraction to to Ben Johnson and Mike McDonald are. And and obviously they're their their you know offensive unit for the for the Lions and defensive unit for the Ravens are outstanding. So you get excited about what they bring to the table potentially as a head coach. And and you're right. I think Dan suffers in, in by the way of comparison because you kind of already know him. You're like, yeah, he's been there. And yeah, look what happened in Atlanta. And they choked away the Super Bowl and blow. You can point to all the things he did wrong. Whereas these guys don't have that resume yet. They may do something worse. They may be terrible head coaches. Who knows? But they they don't have that sort of baggage, I guess, if you will, of yeah, yeah, he had that shot in Atlanta, and look at how that turned out. Right. Well, and, and that's the thing you got to consider that there's no guarantee these guys are going to be, you know, these wizard head coaches. They're really good offensive and defensive coordinators. We know Dan Quinn, you know, as a coordinator, uh, went went to the Super Bowl, but also as a head coach, he took his team. So yeah, I don't. Uh, I, I think DQ is, and he's 53 years old. I guess that's old, right? I mean, compared to these guys who well, are... compared their, to Pete and Belichick, he's just a spring chicken. Yeah, but compared to like these... <laughs> yeah, 36 years old. 30-something-year-olds, yeah. yeah it's, uh, he's kind of somewhere in the middle there. But I thought, I thought that was a great point by Brock, just because this is the... You know, that's probably the most important thing that he'll do. I mean, I, once they get Dan Quinn hired, the most important thing is how are you going to fill in all your, your coaches? And, you know, are they because, you know, there there was a story about Raheem Morris and it's like, yeah, they they wanted to give him a second interview. They were really interested in him. But he's like, I got a bird in the hand, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I can't wait. And so, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of coaches that are kind of hanging around and, you know, they've got to have uh, trust and faith in the guy like Dan Quinn, who he gives them a, a gentleman's agreement and that you can trust that. Hey, a reminder, Washington's biggest night out in sports is coming up February 15th. It's the 89th Annual Sports Star of the Year Awards, crowning our state's biggest stars and stories of 2023. You can find tickets and info at seattlesports.com slash events. And I believe our guy Adam Ray, didn't he tell us he was going to be presenting an award there or something? Is I don't remember him saying that. Yeah. I just remember that uh, K.J. Wright's hosting the whole thing. I remember him saying right? that. Yeah. That's pretty awesome. He did say something about it. Yeah. You yeah. do or you don't remember? I do remember. Yeah. 
Well, good for Dave, him. Dave was ignoring him. So, <laughs> won't watch his documentary. I don't know why he hates Adam Ray so much. Yeah, he won't watch his documentary. Doesn't won't listen. listen. Yeah. There's Jeez. certain people I just block out. I can't say I blame we know them. You, blocked you me just out made the list. After Friday. Yeah. <laughs> why is your mic so quiet? My, Lefko's mic seems quiet. It is quiet. Yeah. Oh, that's intentional by Matt. Probably. Oh, Matt, I'm sorry, yeah. Matt. I didn't mean to ruin that for uh, you. <laughs> I'll repeat myself since Dave. Can you, can has you name that, that movie by any chance, Matt? You just made the list. I know Bob can. I don't know if I can. I've heard it. That's I know before, I've heard Matt. it. It's easy. Stripes. Yeah. You see Stripes? Everybody calls oh, yeah. me psycho. Oh, okay. Years ago. Francis. Take it easy. Lighten up, Francis. Uh, all right. So you got that going on. And I believe Adam is presenting an award there. Meanwhile, the big news Good that came him. down at the at the end of our show yesterday uh, was that the Mariners pulled off a trade. And they acquired a, a second baseman from the Minnesota Twins, Jorge Polanco. Uh, and it, that's a move I like. I, I like the move. It's it, all of these moves they've made. You look at, and I just did did a did a video that'll be up soon. But um, they all come with a caveat. You like them if healthy. That's the, that's a you, you attach that to Mitch Garver. You attach that to obviously Mitch Haniger, and you attach it to Polanco because all three guys are guys that have dealt with injuries. Now, the outlier is Haniger, and we've talked about. It. I mean, last year he's out because he gets hit in the arm with a fastball and it breaks his arm. It's not a, oh, I got a hammy, I got a calf, I got a soft tissue injury, which is what Polanco was dealing with. So any of those three you look at and say, well, providing that they're healthy, you're excited about what they can bring, but they all kind of come with that little caveat. So I like the trade. I like a switch hitting power. He's got some pop. Um, He's, you know, by all accounts, a decent fielder. You can look at your defensive metrics if you want. I don't put a lot of stock in those, but... um, I, I think it's something you desperately needed, and but it, you know Rojas at third, I guess that's more of his natural position. Kind of curious to see that because he didn't seem to have a great arm from second, so I don't know what that arm looks like at going from a third to first for Rojas. Part of that part of that uh, rotation there, but I think on the surface, if these guys are healthy with with Garver, Haniger, Polanco, Luke Rayleigh, all these guys, if they're healthy, this is a better lineup than you had last year. Now that. I, I can feel it coming. It's not setting the bar very high. It was not a great lineup last year. But I feel I've got more optimism surrounding this group. I think it's a longer, deeper lineup than you, you had last season. Or the last two years, right? When you brought yeah. in Frazier and, you know, whoever. Um, but, you know, it, it's uh, as far as the metrics go, you were just mentioning that. And I'm with you. Are you kind of like in baseball? Are you sort of like, with me, with pro football focus, I'm like, yeah, some of the things that they do is just busy work, and they will they have some good information. Yeah. But when it gets to start judging, you know, a guy's range or errors and things like that, that's when you go, okay, I'm going to go eye test. Yeah, their defensive zone rating. That's all. This is all somebody's perception of what is supposed to be. It's not. It's not a math equation where two plus two equals four. It's not an absolute. It's it's somebody's perception of it. You know, batting average is absolute. That's math. On base is math. You start getting into the the analytics and the defensive metrics. Uh, that's not math, and and it's it's a it's somebody's perception or impression of what it is supposed to be or what this person's range is and and how it fits and how it compares. So, I will always defer to those that play out there on the field with that player, talking to them on and off the record and hear what they say, and more importantly, talking to a pitcher that has that defense behind. How do you feel when this guy's at first or at short or at second? You know, and it's it's more the conversations you you have often off the record. Like, 
you know, sometimes they'll tell you, yeah, I, you know, I, I tend to pitch to contact, and I, I worry about that sometimes. Some guys are like, I pitch to contact, and I, I love that that guy's there because I know he's going to make that play. Right. Yeah, and there's no markers out there. So you, as far as range goes, you know, like on a football field, and right. you know, it's kind of like you, you just sort. And also, they're shifted and things like that. But you know, the the thing is, um, I feel like with Polanco, I do worry a little bit more because you know the the other things are you know getting hit in the face and you know breaking Hanniger, an arm yeah. <laughs> yeah. and things like that. With Hanniger, you feel like okay, that's not because he's out of shape. He just it's just bad luck. He's one of the few guys that got COVID. I remember that. I mean, I just felt like there was like a a dark cloud following him around wherever he goes. With with Polanco, you go, well, if it's those soft tissue injuries, you do are a little bit more concerned. But as far as compared to the last couple years, you like this. Yeah, I do like it. Yeah, I'll take a Polanco over a Colton Wong each and every single day. <laughs> and I, you know, it, it just, I think you get a guy who's younger than AJ Pollock. He's still, you know, he's 30 years old. He's produced. He's not at the tail end of his career. Yeah. Injuries. He's been in the league a while. Anybody that's, you know, had a, had a lengthy career. I think this is his ninth, his 10th year, maybe I'll have to go back and look, but you're, you're going to get bumps and bruises. The problem is when it becomes chronic. Yeah. So we'll, we'll see what happens with him. So that, it's there's a reason to be optimistic about it, and I'm as pessimistic a Mariner fan as there is out. Well, maybe not. I've seen worse <laughs> on the line, but I I didn't love last off season. I made that clear. I like this. I like this move. I like this lineup if they can stay healthy, and that's going to be what you hear from everybody. Well, if they're healthy, then they'll give you their critique of them. But Justin Hollander uh, talking about this explains why Polanco, in his opinion, fits the team so well. A couple different reasons. The switch hit is huge for us, the way our team is constructed. To have a guy who's platoon neutral, um, who can hit in the middle of our lineup from either side, uh, is a big advantage for Scott as he stacks the lineup up to be able to go left, right, switch, left, right, switch, and, and move the pieces around. Uh, obviously, a middle infielder who has experience at, at a lot of spots on the diamond and so can solidify second base for us. Another great fit. Uh, and just what we know about the person. Everything we've done on our homework or background says he's a top of the scale leader, great makeup, great human being, great teammate. So really excited about the entire package that he brings to the table. There you go. Are you sold? Are you optimistic? How do you feel no, about it? No, I'm not. I'm cautiously optimistic, but it just seems like, you know, and I would say Mitch Garver, Hanniger, Polanco, all are a step up from what they've done free agency-wise in the last couple of years. But I, I just, first of all, I you have to see it to believe it because it's been a couple of years now that you've seen these guys not come through. I mean, we were sold Colton Wong. You know, and tried to to buy in, and uh, so no, I mean, uh, until they go out there and actually prove it, I, I'm yeah, I'm going to be skeptical as to whether they got better or not. But I do like that they're that they're making moves. It's just we hope that these are the right ones. I mean, other teams make moves on a guy like Polanco, and and it works out fine. Yeah, and it just hasn't worked out here. So no, I don't. I don't feel better about it than the last couple of years. And even if you, you want to throw stats and numbers and everything, to me, uh, I think they're kind of in the same position. It's sort of like, well, if these guys play up to their, their best and, and stay healthy, yeah, they're going to improve this team, and I don't disagree with that. Yeah, quick uh, poll question. You guys can text in 866-979-3776, powered by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. What's your off-season grade now that you've got Polanco? It appears that they're probably done for the most part. Maybe a couple. You could use some bullpen arms. So 
nobody's going to get too excited about the bullpen. You're going to bring in probably guys we haven't heard of, and they're going to be probably solid. That's what they do. But what grade do you give them now? Now that it appears the heavy lifting's done, I don't imagine you're going to get any more offense. Give them a grade. You can text that in right now. Let's take two. Well, ESPN's Dan Graziano had this report on SportsCenter a couple hours ago. Says that Mike Kafka is a legitimate option for the Seahawks in their head coaching search. Now, he is one of the four guys they've interviewed twice that's still available. <laughs> that's one that didn't, as you like to say, Dave, blow my skirt up. And I don't really have a good reason. I just I remember him as a backup quarterback. I haven't heard a ton about him as a coach. Uh, we, we've heard about, you know, his personality or lack thereof. I, I don't know. It just... It didn't feel like an inspired choice, if that's the choice. But I've, listen, if John deems him to be the best candidate, I've got no reason to not trust John at this point, so I'll go with him. But just first blush reaction, eh. I'm thinking Mike Kafka shouldn't have told everybody that his mom told him he was boring <laughs> because that's how we're going to remember him. But, um, you know, look, if, if it's one of these guys, I guess for now, we'll just have to say – you trust in John. He picks good players, and you know we'll, we'll see if it's the same with a, a coaching candidate. In a, in a way, I kind of hope it's a guy like this, so we can hear the explanation, and then try to see if we can get on board. Well, three more Seahawks are headed to the Pro Bowl. DK Metcalf, Geno Smith, and Nick Ballore will be injury replacements for Mike Evans, Matthew Stafford, and Lions special teamer Jalen Reeves Mabin. I'm, I'm excited for Ballore. I mean, I'm excited. Congrats to all three of them. But Geno and DK have been there. It just Ballore is just such a blue collar. Just tell me where to go, and I'm going to do the job. You want me to play special teams? You want me, to be, want me to be a fullback? You want me to play linebacker? And he's hilarious. So it's just it's kind of cool for a guy who's really self-deprecating. Yeah, I I still think he's a good linebacker. And if you look at some of the things they're asking him to do, like I don't I don't know about running and picking up a deep crosser, but I know if you tell him to smash somebody in the B gap, I showed you a video the other day about a guy that got up to the B gap and could have smashed somebody and didn't. He can do that. And, you know, it shows up on special teams. And I know he's an older guy now, right? This yeah. is going to be, this is this was his 13th year. So, yeah, I mean, he good for him. He is continuing. For a guy with a bald spot, he plays really well. <laughs> that lack of hair has not impacted him. Uh, Take Two is brought to you by Swedish Cyberknife. Treat prostate cancer with Swedish Cyberknife. Swedish.org slash Cyberknife Prostate. Coming up, we'll get more insight on Jorge Polanco from Twins beat writer Dan Hayes. He's going to join us next with Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Mariners pull off a trade yesterday with the Minnesota Twins, and we get a chance to get some insight on the newest acquisition, second baseman Jorge Polanco, with a man who knows a thing or two about this Twins team. In fact, he was the one, the, one of the first people out there releasing the details of this trade. He's the Twins beat writer for The Athletic, and he is with us on the Emerald Queen Casino Sportsbook Hotline. Dan Hayes is with us. Dan, how are you? Uh, good. Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Well, thanks for taking some time with us. And uh, first of all, what was your first reaction? Were you were you hearing that Polanco was available? And what was, you know, what was the uh, I guess the the motive in this situation? Do they have a younger guy set to take over at second base, or what was the the motivation for this move on the on the Twins end? Do you think? Yeah, this was something that I think we all kind of saw happening as far back as the end of the offseason. Um, the the Twins were going to reduce payroll this year. They're 
dealing with some of the same issues um, as many other teams are with with their cable provider and and not having a broadcast deal and they're looking to reduce payroll by 30 million. Um, and when you pair that with the fact that Edward Julian really stepped up this year um, and had a great rookie season, you know, had a good postseason too, hit a couple home runs. Um, they basically had a younger guy willing to step uh, ready to step in and, and beyond Edward Julian um, Brooks Lee was their first overall pick of the, uh, the 2022 draft and, and is one of their top prospects. And he looks like a very legitimate infield player. Um, they just were running out of spots for Polanco, who has been one of their better players over the years, consistent. He was an all-star shortstop in 2019, um, big power guy, just a consistent run producer. And, um, you know, a warrior as far as staying on the field up until maybe the last year or two. And, and, this was not an easy trade for them to make as much as it made sense from a financial standpoint. You know, this is Jorge Polanco's the longest tenured twin going into yesterday. So um, it's not surprising yet at the same time, it's not an easy move for them to make either. Hey Dan, should, uh, should we be concerned about some of the injuries or is that something just a natural process? What, what kind of guy, I mean, is he a, is he good at coming off of IR? Is that a big concern? Is he a hard worker? What tell us about his injuries? Oh, yeah, that, put it this way. I mean, he is um, like uh, towards the end of last year, I, I would say he was wearing a lot of ice, ice bags on, you know um, I mean, he plays through everything and that's something that he's always done. He had ankle injuries that really bugged him in 2019 and 2020. He played through it, ended up having surgery after both the end of both of those seasons, like minor surgery. Um, but he was able to play through it and stay on the field. The, the stuff that kind of caught up to him, he had a knee injury and some fluid in his knee that just wouldn't disappear. That was the end of the 2022 season. Put it this way, there's a, there's a belief around the team that if Jorge Polanco – says he can't go or shows he can't go, you believe it because he plays through so much stuff. And and it's one of the things that I think gained him a ton of respect over the years with his teammates was that he's sort of a warrior. Um, and at the end of the 2022 season, the twins really as a, as a team fell apart and Polanco was part of that. He missed 37 games to end the year. You know, that never really happened for him before. Um, and it carried over into last year in the spring training uh, they couldn't get the fluid out. He uh, he missed the first almost month of games, came back. Um, when he was back, he wasn't totally right. He injured the hamstring twice and missed another 53 games. But um, finally he got that right in the middle of the summer, and he came back on July 28th and played 50 of their last 57 games. Had an 8.17 OPS in that stretch. The Twins were uh, 30 and 20 when he played, and and basically five or six of the games uh, that he missed were because of family death. So he, he, when he gets going, when he's right, he is, um, you know, he's, he's going to be in there every day. And it's hard to find an infielder who you can bat in the second spot or the third spot. Who's a switch hitter. He's a matchup nightmare. That's what Rocco Baldelli used to call him for, for opposing managers and hits for a good amount of power. You know, he had 33 homers in, in 2021, Last year, he only hit 14, but that's in 80 games. So um, who knows what happens with the move to the bigger park, but he's still a 20, 25 home run guy. And, and somebody the Twins are going to have to figure out how to replace. 
Hey, give us a sense of his uh, his defense, Dan. You can look at. Uh, I'm not a fan of 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 you know it, the analytics when it comes to measuring defense. I think it's very flawed. So you, I, I'm I'm much more a fan of the eye test. And you, as somebody that watches him game in game out, give me a sense of what kind of defender he is. Yeah, when he's right, I, I think he's a good second baseman. Um, he gets the ball well uh, behind first base and and still moves pretty well, sure handed. Um, I think the move to second was was really good for him because as you know, as steady as he could be at shortstop, um, you know, he had some mistakes there and they there was a costly one in the twenty twenty playoffs against the Astros where it was just a flip to second and should have been an easy play and he pulled the throw off the bag. I think he's naturally much better at second base. Um I'd say he's probably average, but maybe you know, when he's really healthy, he's above average defender in my mind. The the analytics I've never really shown that, but I, I think that the Twins were very happy to have him as Carlos Correa's double play partner uh, on the infield when Correa signed with them. So, um, you know, he's steady, and, you know, they, like this is a guy that really, you know, if I was going to give a number between 8 and 10, I'd say he's like an 8 at second base. So, um, it's again, it's something that the Twins will have a drop-off because Edward Julian isn't quite that good. Um, but when they were – with what they were able to get back from the Mariners, they were willing to make this move. Just it's a move they had to make because of the young guys they have, but also the fact that the Twins were able to get a relief pitcher in Topa that they figured would be in their seventh, eighth inning mix, and a, a starting pitcher. Who knows? And I think this is where the trade really kind of evens out because I think there's questions about Anthony Desclafani going forward, whether or not he can pitch a full season. And, you know, Jorge Polanco has averaged 92 games over the last two years. So neither of them maybe is is totally uh, without their questions when it comes to health. But when you get a a top 100 prospect like the Twins did and get some cash back, the deal made sense, and and they were going to have to make this kind of move anyways. Hey, Dan, was there any indication this this trade was coming? And and how do you think uh, Polanco will view it and will handle it? I wouldn't be shocked if Jorge knew it. Um, You know, the Twins – gave an excuse, but they had their Twins Fan Fest over the weekend, and, and Polanco was a last-minute scratch. So I wonder if they were kind of gave him a heads-up, hey, something could be happening here, and they didn't want to bring him and have the trade go down while he's in the middle of Fan Fest. Um, you know, talking to his agent early in the offseason, they knew that this was a, a strong possibility. Just the writing was on the wall with, with Julian and, and Brooks Lee being there. So... Um, I don't think it's going to be something that's going to be shocking to him, but at the same time, this is a guy that played there his whole way. You know, he debuted in 2014. Um, he's he's such a pro that you know it won't be a hard transition. Plus, you know, he, the the Mariners just got Mitch Garver, former teammate of his, and and uh, they were together on that 2019 uh, Bomba Squad team, uh, which the Twins were the. Uh, set the all-time record for home runs that year. Both of them had a big part of it. Garber hit 30-plus, and and uh, Polanco hit 22 and was an all-star. And for, for the team that tie is now tied for the uh, all-time home run record. So I think that familiarity will help make the transition good. But, um, you know, Jorge's a, a gamer and a guy who is going to probably love the new uh, environment. Dan Hayes, Twins beat writer for The Athletic, has been our guest here with Wyman and Bob. Dan, thanks so much for taking the time. We appreciate it. Yeah, guys, thanks for having me on. There you go again. Dan Hayes covers the Twins for The Athletic, obviously a big fan of uh, Polanco. So I liked hearing the, the warrior part. Yeah. I mean, you know, everybody everybody handles 
injuries or categorizes them differently. You know, some guys are like, oh, my God, my ankle. And others are like, yeah, well, tape it up. Or if I have to shoot up or whatever, I'll, I'll do it. <laughs> I mean, that's going way back. But I, I like I liked hearing that. Yeah. And, and again, he's got the same caveat as, as Hanniger and Garver. If they can yeah. stay healthy, then, yeah, there, there should be some optimism. All right. The NFL continues to be an unstoppable force. But is there one thing? Is there one thing that could change that? We'll get into that next. It's Wyman and Bob. This is Seattle Sports on 710. Wyman and Bob. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. Our thanks once again to Dan Hayes, who covers the Minnesota Twins for the Athletic. He joined us in the previous segment talking about the Jorge Polanco trade. Giving us his review of Polanco as a player he's covered day in, day out. So uh, if you missed that, that conversation will be available for you on the podcast page after the show at seattlesports.com. Coming up at 3 o'clock, Mark Schlereth will join us on the program. You never want to miss that conversation, by God. Uh, meanwhile, Dave, I feel like every week, especially in the playoffs, we, we come back after a weekend full of football, Monday, Tuesday, whenever the ratings come out, and we're hearing about another record. Another record, you know, NFC wild card game, biggest one ever, biggest one in two decades, and the NFC title title game, AFC title game, biggest ratings in, ever. Uh, the NFL apparently has drawn record ratings again with both title games bringing in over 55 million viewers. 55 million, Dave. And, and you know, you and I talked about this a bit after the show yesterday where – you know, we like to complain about what they're doing with the rules and, you know, the, the dumb, the dumb uh, hip drop tackles and the cousin to the, the, the horse collar and all this. You know, you can't touch a quarterback. It's a penalty. I mean, all these things you look at and go, man, you're, you're ruining this game. But it doesn't appear that they are, at least in the eyes of the fans, because the crowds continue to grow. They don't just sustain. They, they gain more fans. They get bigger and bigger and bigger. Is there... Is there anything that could get you to just turn away from the game where you go, you know what, washing my hand? People will say it out of anger. We see it all the time. That's it. I'm done. This game's rigged. They, you know these calls, blah blah blah. They're back. They don't go anywhere. What? Anything make you turn your back on it and just go, that's it. I'm done. Well, I don't know because if it went to there, there's no way they would do this though. But look. Here's the thing. I think the popular answer, and I, I wrote this one time in an article, and I, I for the the Times, it was like 15 years ago, and I was like, you know, I'm afraid somebody's going to die on the field, and you know, and I I don't know that that would affect, um, you know, viewers, and would it turn people away from football necessarily? Um, it might have a like more of a morbid curiosity for people if they think you could die in one of these games and the danger is such that these guys are going out there and, and playing it. But um, I just don't, I guess I don't think what I'm afraid of is that every last little tackle is going to be scrutinized and that it's going to be just entirely so hard to play for the defense that you can't, it's not even a good game anymore. Mm -hmm. I, I think to me, that might be the one thing where ever they want, just like any other business would do. Yeah. I'm not saying they're unnecessarily greedy, but I do think they want to start greedy. their own government and take over the world, <laughs> yeah. but they're but, on their way. Yeah. I mean, even that, you know, I was kind of thinking about it last night that like, I don't know, maybe, like I said, a morbid curiosity that, okay. And, this is a conversation I had with Ron Wolfley. We uh, he's the 
color analyst on radio for for the Arizona Cardinals, and him and I played against each other. And you know, one of the things that he said was that like the reason why I liked being a pro football player is because. Not everybody would do it. Not mm-hmm. everybody would go out and put their body on the line like that. And so that's where I guess if it got to the point where we got so sensitive about injuries and things and that it finally went from like the Pro Bowl, uh, from tackle football to touch, I think they would lose all their customers. But I just don't think they'd do that. Why would they do that? I don't think they would either. I don't think I think they take complaints in stride. There was a, I mean, there people were screaming from the rooftops about the Peacock game, right? They're that just, was me. That, well, you weren't alone. You were in the majority. There were so many people. That's it. Their their greed is ridiculous. I'm not partake. Twenty three, twenty three million over twenty three million. The biggest streamed event ever. Yeah. Ever, Dave. It's <laughs> just so we can complain. We can look at it. I'm not trying to hear that, Bob. We, we can... I want to hear that they <laughs> suffered because I didn't watch the game. Yeah. I mean, that's what a lot of people would like to believe. That's it. I'm taking my money elsewhere. Well, you know what? There's going to be somebody to fill that gap you just left there. I don't, you know, they want their cause. They don't want anybody walking away. But the idea that Joe Schmageggy's just fed up with the way the game's being called or he thinks it's rigged or whatever the heck's going on and he's going to walk away. It's not a blip. I'm sorry. It just unless you can convince millions and millions and millions of your friends to come along with you, it's got no impact because it gets bigger. It gets bigger every year. It grows. When you think, how does a sport that already crushes every other sport? It's not even a competition. The NBA is not close to the NFL. Major League Baseball is not close. NHL, soccer, it's just not in this country. Yeah. And, and it gets bigger. It's just, it's fascinating to me as much as people complain about different elements, whether it's on the field, off the field, players doing this, coaches doing that, league doing this, doesn't matter. It's got yeah. no impact. Yeah. Um, yeah. 2009 or 10 was when I wrote that article. And I remember saying, oh, these ridiculous calls, um, you know, th- these are just football hits. And they were from my era. And, you know, I, you know, I was I sort of compared it to handing out speeding tickets at the Indy 500. It's that's just what's going to happen. But they've adapted, actually. You know, mm-hmm. I still complain about it. And you know what I always say about like balls and strikes with the with the uh, umpires in Major you League like Baseball. It. I like to complain. <laughs> and so that that part of it, I think they've handled it and and it's been okay. And they've you know they haven't had any. Horrible, you know, some of Daryl Stingley. I mean, those kinds yeah. of hits they haven't I mean, really Tamar had. Hamlin. We yeah. saw that. I mean, that, that was as close as in that was my like a heart thing. Yeah, I mean, he technically died for a bit. They had yeah. to resuscitate him, and that was an incredibly impactful moment and huge. But I don't know that anybody, in light of that, went, you know what? I can't watch this anymore. Because yeah. and you, and you brought it up that you know Wolfley says it's something not everybody would do. That's true in other sports. I, I'm not a fan of auto sports. People That's, people die in 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 auto sports. Whether you're talking NASCAR, Indy 500, I don't know yeah. the difference between all of them, but people die. It's people have died in the boxing ring. The sports carry on. There's still the there's still that fan base that will follow it. So yeah, while it's an absolute tragedy if it happens, and, and if we were to see it, it would be a huge story and it would have an impact. But the idea that all of a sudden the sport would somehow lose popularity, I just don't see it, man. I don't know what it would take. Yeah. It, it would take a massive shift in in the game to a point to where it's just not a good product anymore. You can't watch it anymore. The product stinks. Are you going to watch the Pro Bowl this weekend? Uh, I'll, I'll probably DVR it and, and roll through it. I won't. It's not appointment television for me. Yeah, I. You know, 
Uh, the flag football game, you know, I, I've mentioned this before, I'll complain again, but one of the advertisements for the Pro Bowl on, I think it's the NFL Network, they have the one time, that one play last year where a guy accidentally ran into the other guy and just knocked the crap out of him. I think it was Ramsey. Jalen Ramsey hit, was it Tyreek Hill or was it? I hope so. Okay. <laughs> uh, anyway, he went flying like eight yards out and I'm like, how hypocritical of you. But look, nobody, none of these players, they're not going to go out there for peanuts and and play in a game and possibly get hurt and you know jeopardize their career yeah there's the running back and played for the patriots who uh, edwards uh yeah uh, something edwards uh playing on the beach in yeah the they were playing sand football yeah. and when the pro bowl used to be in hawaii and they would always have it was a rookie game they would have the rookies come and play in a flag football game and he just entirely tore his knee up in the sand yeah so yeah that I mean, that's, I think that's a story that goes around. And then, you know, anybody, I remember Jimmy Graham getting really mad at a linebacker for hitting him too hard one time and screamed at him. And I'm like, what a baby. But, you know, that's, there was probably that kind of un, you know, written rule that, hey, look, let's not hurt each other over, I don't know, they used to play for like between 50 and 100,000. Yeah. Yeah. And, and listen, the NFL adjusted. That game doesn't exist anymore in the in the yeah. way that it used to. So, and I wouldn't want my if you're a coach or even if you're you're a fan, do you want to send your best young players out there for another game that is pointless? No, probably and it, not. And it wasn't fun to watch. We all complained about it. like this is dumb. It was horrible this is a for dumb about, product. <laughs> it was about six or seven years. There was a time when like when I played where I remember uh, there was an offensive tackle and an, a defensive lineman on the other side. He was going to fight him in the tunnel going into the locker room. Uh, was AFC NFC yeah. and I I can't remember the two players but I do know that that happened and that used to be you know it used to be more of like a real football game yeah those days are gone uh, coming up we're gonna hold our breath get the thumb button ready and get Mark Schlereth's insight on everything going on in the world of football he's gonna join us next with Wyman and Bob this is Seattle Sports on 710.